Happy Sabbath, GYC. Sounds like there's about 20 of you out there. Happy Sabbath. I'm the guy that got sick, not you. I am happy to be here today. I feel like I am among friends. Even on the plane ride over here, there were people calling my name, saying they were praying for me. Yes, if you don't know who I am, I am otherwise known as the guy who got sick last year at GYC. But here I am alive and well. And I believe that in and of itself is enough of a sermon for us today. But if you don't know the story, I'll fill you in in just a few moments. But I like to really express from the bottom of my heart on behalf of my family, the thanks that we have for all of you. I've received notes and emails of encouragements from many of you here, and also from people all around the world this year. And I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your prayers. And there were people, uh, someone or an organization, I'm not sure who, who, are, who uh, paid for two weeks of hotel expenses for my family to stay with me when I was in the hospital last year. I don't know who you are. You know who you are, but I just want to tell you thanks. And I also want to thank the GYC Executive Committee and Board of Directors. They know me well. They know my successes. They know my foibles, my weaknesses, and my failures. Some of the individuals that I respect the most on the face of the planet are a part of this movement. And I'm thankful for the trust and their confidence to grant me this opportunity to address you this morning. And I know many of you here today are here today, but there are many others around the world who may be watching 3ABN. I know many friends in Asia, Malaysia in particular, who have prayed for me, and I want to thank them as well. But although I am very happy to be here, and GYC is to be a happy and joyous and exciting time, I can't help but to have a certain level of solemnity, this GYC. Perhaps more than any previous convention, I realize more clearly than ever that this may truly be our last GYC. And I don't mean this only in the sense that Jesus may come before December rolls around again. And if we take a look around the world, we don't have to be a genius or rocket scientist to recognize that that may truly happen. But perhaps more significantly to me is the fact that we don't know when our probations may close. For me, last GYC could have been my last. In many ways, perhaps it should have been. And for my good friend, who also happened to be my college roommate, Luke Privet, Minneapolis was his last GYC. Many of you remember that he passed away on his drive home from GYC last year in the winter storm. We don't know when our lives will end. We are sitting here in California on a San Andreas fault. We don't know when our lives will end. 
And so even before I get into the message, I just want to appeal to you. If you have not committed, if you have not decided, committed your life to Jesus, now is the time. Don't delay. If anyone has the authority or, or the experience to say that, I believe I have. Because I should not be here today. GYC has requested me today to share with you my testimony and my experience, and I will do that. But I just want to mention that I have also shared this testimony before on Audioverse under the title, When Troubles Come, and in other venues under the title, Scars for Jesus. And I use my experience as a framework to share seven reasons why God allows His people to go through suffering. I'm not going to cover those points today, but I know that that was a source of encouragement for many people. So if you are so moved to go check it out, visit Audioverse. But the title of our message this morning is The Paralysis Which Besets Us. And I pray sincerely that if through my experience one or two souls, if someone today is brought to the divine healer Jesus, and finds a healing for the sin-sick soul today, then whatever I went through, it was cheap enough. So before we get into the message, I invite you just to bow your heads with me as we pray. Father, this morning as we contemplate an experience of just a normal person, I pray that you will be glorified. I pray that I may not be uplifted but that Christ may be uplifted you know the frailty of my body of my mind of my voice of my abilities I ask that Jesus may speak in my place for I cannot speak I am but a child I don't know how to go out or how to come in and so Lord Jesus may you save someone today this is my prayer in Jesus name amen Exactly one year ago last, or yesterday, December 19, 2007, I woke up in the Hilton, Minneapolis to a very busy day at GYC. I was the vice president of logistics at the time, and as you can imagine, that meant a lot of work on Wednesday. And as I sat down on my couch in the hotel room, I was looking on my computer when I felt a deep penetrating burning pain in the back of my neck. I didn't think much of it. I thought, oh, I just slept on it wrong. I have a crick in my neck. No big deal, but it didn't go away. I set my computer down and I had some friends in the room. My brother was there. He just graduated from Wildwood College of Health Evangelism and he came over. He tried to do some massage to try to loosen me up and before long, I was collapsed on the floor. I don't know how long it was. The times just all sort of blurred together, but I was laid out on the floor, unable to move my arms at all. This was probably within 15, 30 minutes. But I could still wiggle my legs a little bit, so I tried to get up, but at that point, they were already too weak to support my weight, and I collapsed on myself again. My friends in the room, they 
quickly called some friends, some physicians, gave them some of the descriptions of what was happening to me, and it became clear that this was not something that is just going to go away. This was serious. And the doctors recommended that I go to the emergency room right away. And some friends were uh, kind enough to loan us their vehicle and their GPS, and off we went to the University of Minnesota Medical Center, also known as Fairview, Fairview Hospital. And there I was admitted into the emergency room right away. And the doctors came in, and they tried to figure it out, but they simply were not able to. What was wrong with this guy? They went through the list. Do I have any pre-existing conditions? No. Did I have any accidents? No. Do I have any injuries or any bug bites or anything? No. Perfectly healthy just the day before. Just a few hours before, in fact. But my condition rapidly deteriorated while I was there in the ER. By the time GYC was having their opening session, I could no longer breathe on my own, and I was sedated and put on a ventilator. Fortunately, my parents were already on their way to GYC, and they arrived to the hospital just about that time. And over the course of the next two days or so, I was sedated most of the time, and I really didn't know what happened. People said they visited me, and honestly, I don't remember. So if any of you visited me on Thursday or Friday, I'm sorry if I don't remember you. I'm thankful anyway. But they simply couldn't figure out what exactly was wrong. They did every test it seemed in the book. But they were sure that I had some spinal cord injury and it was most likely a spinal cord infarction or a stroke to the spinal cord. And the doctor came in with the unpleasant task of talking to my parents and they warned them prepared them and said, if he should survive, not the words parents want to hear about their child. If he should survive, you should be prepared that he may never recover. Can you imagine? The heart of a Christian mother and father hearing that if my child is to live, he may be quadriplegic for life. He may be on a ventilator, unable to breathe on his own for life. And the doctors were quite sure that the prognosis was bleak. But when I came to, it was about Friday, right about the time Sabbath was about to begin. First thing that I remember, a group of my friends came with Pastor Mark Finley to have an anointing service for me. And in that anointing service, Pastor Finley says something that I'll never forget. He said, it is always God's will to heal his people. We don't have to question. We don't have to doubt. God always wants to heal his people. The only question is when. Will God heal instantly, miraculously? Or will he heal over a course of time using natural means and natural methods? Or perhaps he may decide to heal on the resurrection morning. But God always heals his people. He had that anointing service and 
I remember that distinctly and I'm very thankful for Pastor Finley and my friends who were there. And I was informed later that on Sabbath morning, many of you probably were there, Pastor Finley and my friend Luke, who was just here, led out in a prayer meeting, a prayer service on my behalf. And looking back, looking back in hindsight, I trace my recovery to that Sabbath day. Why do I say that? The next day, Sunday, by the time GYC was over, I could breathe well enough my, on my own to be taken off the ventilator. By Monday after GYC, I was moved out of the ICU to a regular unit. By the end of that week, I could sit up on my own and I could even update my blog. And by the second week, I could stand and I could walk. I could feed myself. And after 16 days in the hospital, I just about, if they let me, I would have done it. <laughs> I just about walked out of the hospital. 16 days. I got on the airplane and I flew back to Loma Linda. And there for another two weeks, I was in inpatient rehabilitation. And after that, I was in outpatient rehab for several months more. And now I continue to do my personal exercise program. And in June, I was even able to fly to Malaysia and Singapore to speak for two youth conferences there. Do we serve a living God? The Lord healed me. And although the doctors think that I was not going to recover, the Lord thought otherwise. And I believe that it's because of the prayers of the saints. For those of us who are gathered here, those who are watching on 3ABN, it's because of the prayers of the saints that God was able to move to heal. And I, asked, I get asked this question a lot. People say, well, do they know what, it, what happened? What was it? When I got back to Loma Linda, they did more tests and they realized, hey, this isn't actually a spinal cord infarction. They called it post-viral transverse myelitis. Now, that's a mouthful. What is it? Post-viral simply means it was the aftermath of a virus, probably of just a common cold or something that caused an autoimmune response in my body that attacked my spinal cord. Transverse means it affected both sides of my body. And then myelitis is talking about an inflammation or a demyelination of the insulation cells called myelin uh, around my nerves in my spinal cord. There's your A&P lesson for today. All that means is that I was in serious condition. And also what that means is that the doctors really don't know what happened. They just know that it did. And people often ask, so what is the lingering effects? Well, I've recovered and I'm alive in case you haven't noticed. But I do still have some weakness in my shoulders. My deltoid muscles on either side is weak. I can't lift my arms above my head very easily. So now you know why my movements may seem a little bit inhibited. Please don't let that distract you from the message. But my recovery has been nothing short of a miracle. 
And even if I don't get my arms fully back, which I believe I still see improvements, it may be the Lord's way of keeping me humble. And if it means I have a thorn in my flesh and I'm more effective for God's work, praise the Lord. But you know, I know that the Lord has healed me. You remember the doctors came in that first week and said, you know, your, your son, to my parents, your son is probably never going to recover. And they were quite serious about that. A week or two later, the same resident, and I say resident because, you know, I grew up in a medical environment in Loma Linda. My mom's a nurse. Uh, residents may sometimes think they know more than they really do. But the resident came in two weeks later, not a believer in God. And she said, oh, after that I'm standing up and walking around, she says, oh, well, I've seen people with spinal cord infarcts and strokes like this, and, and the, your body's just spontaneously healing itself, and uh, it happens all the time. As they say here in California, whatever. <laughs> we know what happened. She didn't have a good explanation, so she had to just make something up. But we serve a living God, a divine neurologist, if you will. And God specializes in healing sinners. And I, just one more, one more incident. I have many more I could share from my experience, but time is running away from me. Go download my other testimony on Audioverse. You'll get more details, okay? I remember sitting in my hospital room. This was in, the, in Minneapolis still. A couple weeks later, one of my friends gave me a DVD recording of the Sabbath service with Pastor Finley in Minneapolis. And as I sat there and he was preaching it, man, Pastor Finley, God bless the man. He can really preach it. And there he was sharing how God always heals his people, how God wants to answer our prayers. We need to pray more fervently. And there they, you guys were, kneeling, praying. And I thought, boy, that's powerful. And then I sat back and I thought, wait a second, they're praying for me. It's because of those very prayers that I was well enough alive to watch the recording of that prayer service. Let me tell you, there's no feeling like it. To see friends, fellow believers praying for you and to know that it was because of that very prayer that you're alive today. God answers prayers. Let me put it this way. God answers your prayers. Let there be no doubt in our minds, friends. Jesus is alive today just as he was 2,000 years ago. Jesus heals today just like he does 2,000 years ago. And Jesus answers prayers just like 2,000 years ago. And many people ask, well, what did it feel like? What did it feel like to be paralyzed? Let me allow you, try to explain it this way, and I th this will lead into the message from the Bible t today. Being paralyzed is like this. It's a horrible feeling. You lay there, and you, ch you want to do things, whatever it is, scratch my nose, drink some water, answer the phone, sit up, whatever. You want to do it. You try to do it, but you can't. You exert effort. You, you strain and you, 
try and you exercise your will and you decide, but you can't. But something else that perhaps we don't think of when it's paralysis is sometimes you're laying there and sometimes I close my eyes and I'm concentrating and I actually think that I'm moving. I think I'm actually lifting my arm, but when I open my eyes, I'm not. So if I can explain paralysis from my experience in this way. Wanting or trying to do something, but not being able to do it. Or trying or thinking you're doing something, but when you're actually not moving. Some of your minds are moving ahead of me, and you know the spiritual applications. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I do want to take the time now to turn our attention to the, to the Bible. To turn to a story of another case of paralysis in Luke chapter 5. Another paralytic to whom I feel much uh, similar feelings. Luke chapter 5. Jesus had just healed a leper. And his... Uh, Reputation was being spread far and wide and multitudes were thronging to him looking to this miracle healer to save them as well. And on this particular day, Jesus was in Peter's house in Galilee. And we pick up the story in verse 17 of Luke chapter 5. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man who was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And we know the rest of the story. The man ended up taking up his bed and walking out of the house. But I want to notice the verse that we just read. It says, When he saw their faith. Jesus saw the faith of this paralyzed man's friends. Just like God saw your faith, my friends, to heal me. Jesus is still in the business of healing paralytics. But I want to look at it this way. Desire of Ages, page 267, says this. In the healing of the paralytic at Capernaum, Christ again taught the same truth. It was to manifest his power to forgive sins that the miracle was performed. You notice Jesus, his first words to the man was, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. The point of this story is not simply that Jesus can heal our physical maladies, although that is true. The point that Jesus was trying to illustrate is just this. I can heal a physical paralytic, and that is an illustration of what I want to do to you spiritually. We are told that this paralytic's condition was brought upon him by a life of sin, and that he had lost all hope of ever recovering. 
And when he was thinking of Jesus coming before him, he wasn't even looking for physical restoration. He came to Christ to hear the words that his sins were forgiven. And did he hear those words? Jesus heals, not just physical paralysis, but he wishes to heal us spiritually. And that's the point of the message today. Christ wishes to heal spiritual paralysis. You see, Christ is a divine neurologist that specializes. He specializes in spiritual paralysis. And I know there are individuals here who are struggling spiritually. There are us who feel as though spiritually we are paralyzed. We are here in GYC, we hear the challenges, the appeals, and we say, I want to be good. I want to be right, but I can't. We cry out like the man in Romans 7 saying, oh, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Any of you have that experience? You come to GYC and you, you want to be good, but you feel spiritually I'm paralyzed. I can't grow. My religious experience is stagnant and I don't know what to do about it. There may be a number of reasons why we are spiritually paralyzed. For some of us, it may be the pain, the pain of a history in our past, of violence, of abuse, of, of poor choices. For some of us, we may have anger. We may have bitterness in our heart towards someone, another person, or maybe even towards God. Maybe others of us, we are paralyzed because of discouragement or despair because of the uncertainty of our lives, the unpredictable circumstances we find ourselves in. We're paralyzed. Perhaps it's loneliness. Loneliness because of broken relationships, forfeited pledges, resolutions that have been broken, people who have spurned you. Perhaps it's a fear. Fear of the future. Fear of uncertainty. Fear of God, perhaps. Perhaps it's shame. We may be paralyzed by our guilt of the sinful habits and the activities and the addictions that we have in our lives. Whatever the reason may be, we may be here today thinking we are spiritually paralyzed and like that paralytic, there's no hope for me. Well, let me tell you something. Jesus healed that paralytic 2,000 years ago to prove he can forgive sins. And in 2008, he healed this paralytic to prove to you that he can heal you too. Doesn't matter what you're struggling with. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can bring to your soul that peace that passes all understanding. He can bind up the wounds from your broken past. He may rewrite your history from this day forward. Jesus may cut out that cancer of bitterness and anger. And in its place, he may give you love and peace. He can give you hope in the midst of discouragement. He can give you 
peace despite your loneliness. He'll be that friend that sticketh closer than a brother. He can dispel your fears because he's promised that he'll be with you even to the end of the world. And he's able to save to the uttermost. No matter what besetting sins may be enchaining your life, Jesus can help you overcome. If Jesus healed me, he can heal you if you will let him. But there are some of us here, we may not be in this class, but we know people who do. I want to encourage you, lower them through the roof to Jesus. Pray for them. God heard your prayer and that's why I'm here. Why do we pray so little? The angels marvel. When God is longing to bestow that upon that which he could not otherwise bestow, did we not thus ask? There are souls around us in our lives, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, where God wants us to pray for them. So that when he sees our faith, he may heal them as well. But look with me now in Luke chapter 5, continuing our story. That paralytic and his friends were not the only ones there that day. Verse 21, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, the sin, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them and took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. I want to tell you that in this story, the paralytic was in fact not the one in the greatest need of healing. There is another class. Another class who was gathered there who actually needed Christ more than the paralytic. This is what it says, Desire of Ages 2.67. He, meaning the paralytic, had long before appealed to the Pharisees and doctors hoping for relief from mental suffering and physical pain but they coldly pronounced him incurable and abandoned him to the wrath of God. The Pharisees regarded affliction as an evidence of divine displeasure, and they held themselves aloof from the sick and the needy. Yet, often, these very ones who exalted themselves as holy were more guilty than the sufferers they condemned. As the condescending Pharisees gazed on the scene, as they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, they, in fact, were the ones who were in greater need of healing. But they didn't know it. Sick and in need of a physician, but they don't know it. They are rich and increased with goods, have need of nothing. Have we heard of people like that? They needed Jesus, but they didn't even know it. They were complacent of, in their experience, but they felt need of nothing. Could it be that some of us here at GYC, we're spiritually paralytics, but we don't even know it? 
Oh, but we say we're not condemning sinners to the wrath of God. We're not mean like the Pharisees. Yeah, perhaps that's true. But perhaps we may still have that spiritual complacency, thinking that we are the chosen people of God. Seventh-day Adventists, the remnant. And yet, covering our spiritual paralysis with a husk of external activity. Could it be that we're still just culturally Adventists, but yet internally we're still paralyzed? Do we pride ourselves as God's chosen people like the Pharisees? But yet we busy ourselves with activities. We may lead song service at church. We may even be a youth leader. We may preach evangelistic crusades. We may, we may give Bible studies and sing special music. And we think, oh, people won't think I'm so bad then. Could it be that we have personal devotions only because we're afraid someone will ask us, what did you study this morning? Or maybe we read the Bible only when it's time to teach the Sabbath school lesson. When we have to preach. Or maybe. We live from YC to YC. Let me explain what I mean. Perhaps we're one of those people that we, we can't survive spiritually without going to these mountaintop youth conference experiences. We come to GYC. We go home and we go into this slump. Oh, I can't wait till SEYC. And SEYC comes around and we get another high and we slump down. Oh, and then I go to SWYC and then WYC and all these other YCs. And we, it's like taking drugs. We need the next high. Are we Pharisees in spiritual complacency? Spiritually paralytics. We may know the Bible. But has the Bible transformed our lives? We may be spiritual people, but has the Holy Spirit transformed us? Are we spiritually paralyzed? Could it be that our lives, we're just filling it with busyness so people will think, oh, we're not so bad. Jesus actually, in verse 17 of chapter 5, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Who's the them? It sure looks like from the verse, the Pharisees and the doctors to me. Jesus longs to heal all manner of spiritual paralysis. Even those of complacency. But now, am I saying it's wrong to go to GYC? Is it wrong to do outreach and participate in all these good things? Absolutely not. I'm just saying that we need to be careful not to make it the substitute for Jesus living in our hearts. Because we know in the last day there will be people who cry, Lord, Lord, have we not done all of these wonderful things in thy name? And Jesus will say, I never knew you. We could be doing good things for Jesus and still be unconverted. Let's not be in that class, friends. Because the power of the Lord is present today to heal us. But here's another statement balancing this from 5T, Testimonies, Volume 5, page 393. A man who would lie down and refuse to exercise his limbs would soon lose all power to use them. 
Thus, the Christian who will not exercise his God-given powers not only fails to grow up into Christ, but he loses the strength which he already has. He becomes a spiritual paralytic. Mrs. Weiss says there's an easy way to be a spiritual paralytic, and that is to do nothing. Oh, so... The recluse who thinks that Jesus is coming so soon, the cities will be destroyed so soon, that we need to run to the mountains, stockpile food, get off the electricity grid, and cut ourselves off from civilization. Spiritual paralytic. And for those of us who have the opportunity to win souls for Jesus, and we sit on our hands waiting for Pastor Finley, Pastor Bachelor, Justin McNeilis, someone else to do it, we're becoming spiritual paralytics. But am I saying that it is wrong for us to move to the country? I need to make this point clear. It is not wrong to move to the country. I believe in country living. I live in the backwoods of Arkansas. But now is the time to work the cities. Now is the time more than ever to take the gospel to the world, to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Now is no time for us to lie down to become spiritual invalids. God has given us strength. God has given us abilities. Use it or lose it. That's spiritual paralysis. But here's another one. The world is perishing in its misery. Is the world perishing around us? Can we see evidences of that? But this hardly moves even those who claim to believe the highest and most far-reaching truth ever given to mortals. Who are those who claim to believe the highest truth ever given to mortals? Seventh-day Adventists. What is the most far-reaching truth ever given to mortals? The three angels' messages. If you weren't here last night, you better go get a DVD and get yourself filled in. Even us. This is who this passage is talking about. God requires his people to be his helping hand to reach the perishing. But how many are content to do nothing? There is a stupor, a paralysis upon the people of God which prevents them from understanding what is needed for this time. Sixth volume of the Testimonies, page 445. Let me read that last sentence one more time. There is a stupor, a paralysis upon the people of God which prevents them from understanding what is needed for this time. The servant of the Lord tells us that we as a people is under a stupor. We are paralyzed. And because of it, we don't understand what is needed for this time. If I can put it in another words, we are paralyzed spiritually, so we are not getting and fulfilling our purpose. What's the theme of our conference this year? For this purpose. Why are God's people in a state of paralysis? Why do we not understand our mission? And our purpose, a couple suggestions perhaps. Perhaps it's because we've lost our sense of urgency. Perhaps we say, the Lord delays his coming. 
And we don't do this with our lips verbally, but perhaps through the way that we live our lives, we are telling Jesus, we don't want you to come. No wonder we're spiritually paralyzed. Or perhaps we've lost our distinctiveness from the world. Perhaps we imbibe in the culture and the philosophy of this postmodern era. Perhaps we blur the lines between political and social issues with theological issues and religious issues. Perhaps we trade in our inspired sources of authority so we can compete intellectually with infidels. Perhaps we're lowering the standard of Christian lifestyle, of holy living, and sanctioning perversion of every sort in our school and in our worship services. Perhaps we lessen the severity of sin. We give sin fancy little nicknames. And we even say that it may, it's not even possible to overcome anymore. Are we paralyzed? Perhaps it's because we're getting distracted. Distracted with conspiracy theories and preaching them in place of the more sure word of prophecy. Perhaps we're trying to shake people up with sensationalism instead of letting the Word of God and the Spirit of God do the shaking. Or perhaps it's because we're divided amongst ourselves. Perhaps we are allowing rifts to form because of culture, because of race, of social economic status. Division between the denomination and the laity. Perhaps we are criticizing our church and our leaders instead of praying for them. And perhaps the underpinning of it all is that we are questioning the distinctiveness of the remnant's message and the mission. We foster a spirit of doubt and discontent toward our doctrines. We try to reinvent or even repudiate them in order to be relevant. We feel a need to advance fanciful and new interpretations of prophecy to which God has already given plain explanation. We water down the call out of Babylon to make it more palatable for them. We doubt the inspiration of the spirit of prophecy. And in turn, very rapidly, all of Scripture. And maybe, just perhaps, we don't even know what the Bible says anymore. Our purpose is driven by our mission. And if we don't know our mission, we can't know our purpose. And if we don't know our purpose, we can't fulfill it. Spiritual paralysis. But let me tell you something. I want to go on record just to say this. Our message is unique. And it is given to us by God. And it doesn't matter what we argue, what we rationalize, what we redefine or try to repudiate. The Bible is still the inspired word of God. Ellen White is still, or her ministry was still, that of the messenger of the Lord. And her writings are still inspired. The, the Lord still created the earth in six literal 24-hour continuous consecutive contiguous days which means that the seventh day today is still the sabbath and that is still the message to be proclaimed the dead are still dead 
still waiting for the resurrection to take place. The investigative judgment still began in 1844. Jesus is still our intercessor mediator in the heavenly sanctuary, which, by the way, is still there, folks. God's law is still binding and the standard of his judgment. Salvation is still a free gift available to all who would accept it through faith. Jesus is still coming again, literally, visibly, audibly, on the throne of glory with all the holy angels, and he's coming back soon. But before he comes back, he's still waiting. He's still waiting for his people to take the everlasting gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Our message is unique. Our message is still relevant. Our message is still the truth. And our message is that which gives us purpose. And if we throw this message away, there's no other option but to become par paralytics. Are we paralyzed? Have we forgotten who we are and our unique purpose? If we've forgotten our purpose, if we've thrown away our message, it doesn't matter how much money we throw away. Doesn't matter how many activities we have. Doesn't matter how many school buses we may rent. We're spinning our wheels. God is not in the business of just letting us do whatever. God has given us a mandate. And he has given this mandate to a people to do it successfully. And we can try to do things. We may think we're accomplishing a lot, but without the message, without the mandate, we are not accomplishing anything. We may think we're doing something, but we are not. And you know what that's called? It's called paralysis. Thinking we are doing something, imagining that we are, but in fact, not doing anything at all. But what's the cure? Jesus is, in fact, the divine neurologist, and he heals all manner of paralytics. But what's the cure? Faith and works, page 75, paragraph 4. God help us, brethren, to wake up and stir ourselves now to do as much as the paralytic did. And friends, was the paralytic healed by Christ? Yes, he was. To do as much as the impotent man did. Was the impotent man at the pool of Bethesda healed? Yes, he was. And as much as the one with the palsied arm did. Was the one with the withered arm healed by Christ? Yes, he was. How were they healed? Mrs. White continues to explain. They did just as they were told. That's how they were healed. They did just as they were told. God help us to believe on the Son of God that he can save us to the utmost and we shall have everlasting life. I remember the story of the man at Bethesda. Jesus looked at him and said, Man, rise up, take up thy bed and walk. Desire of Ages, page 203, tells us that it wasn't until he chose, decided, willed, to follow Christ's word that the healing power was imparted. How do we find healing today? It's very simple. Do just as we are told. God has given clearly in his word the mandate, the message to be given. Let us cling to the word just as it reads.
Let us carry out his commission to us just as he requested and we shall find healing. Everyone. Let us rouse ourselves from our stupor and paralysis and go from this place accomplishing God's purpose for our time. Look with me now in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. The mission for us is to finish this race. And paralytics, in case you haven't noticed, can't run. And whatever is paralyzing us today, the weight, the sin, the habits, the bad decisions that we may have made or are making, let us cast it aside. Let us set aside that paralysis which besets us. Where do we find healing? Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let us do just as we are told. Jesus is coming soon, but Jesus is not coming soon for a bunch of spiritual invalids. Jesus is not going to heal us on the resurrection morning in this sense. Spiritually, he's going to heal us now. And that healing power is present today for that healing. And Jesus wants us to go from this place saying, we have seen strange things today. Spiritual paralytics healed, walking from this place, fulfilling the commission of Jesus, the purpose for this hour. I'd like to make several appeals now. How many of you here today recognize that there is a work to be done, but yet we aren't doing enough? Perhaps it's because we don't even know what the Bible has to say about this hour of earth's history. If we were to ask, be asked by someone on the street today during outreach, explain the three angels' message, we couldn't do it. But we want to fulfill the purpose and the mission of his remnant church. If you are one of those people who want to say, Lord Jesus, I want to no longer be a spiritual paralytic. I want to preach this gospel with power, let me see your hands. Every hand is raised. But I know personally there are some of us who are also struggling. Struggling with a personal sense of hopelessness. That people here at GYC, they can preach, but that's not for me. I'm just not good enough. I want to be good, but, you know, I just can't do it. If you are one of those people, you have some issue in your life, whatever it is, that is causing you to stagnate in your spiritual growth, uh, I want you to realize, to make a decision today because Jesus can heal you. I'm living proof that he can heal. But if you are one of those who want to say today I want to be healed by Jesus. I have issues. I have baggage. I've got problems. And I need Jesus' help. 
if that is you, I invite you just to stand right where you are. The Lord can see you. I don't need to know what your issues are. The reality is that we have problems, friends. And Jesus knows that and he wants to help if we would just let him. Spiritual paralysis may take other forms, however. Next appeal. There may be some of us here who have thought, I'm pretty good. I come to GYC. I lead out in church, perhaps. I may do all sorts of wonderful things in God's name, but I realize in my heart of hearts, I'm a spiritual paralytic and invalid just the same. And I want my Christian experience to, to be taken to the next level. I've been complacent in my spiritual experience, a Pharisee, a hypocrite even. If that is you, I invite you to join your friends on your feet now. God sees what's in your heart. He knows what is in us. And he wishes to cut out whatever it is that is distracting us from fulfilling his work. Some of us may have lived in lives of sin and you have st stood. The Lord can heal you. It may be relationships. You've heard a lot about relationships this weekend. It may be sinful habits on the computer, in front of the television screen, in the privacy of your own bedroom, whatever it is, Jesus can heal you if you will allow him to. And some of us have stood because we have chosen to live a life that is less than the best. We have made choices that is not the best, but even that God can heal. He can enable us from this day forward to make choices to his name's glory and honor. And so today, friends, I stand before you as a testament that the Lord is able, more than able, to save you to the uttermost. And let us together stand with us, together stand with Jesus to fulfill the mission that he's given to this church. No more spiritual paralysis for this purpose, to fulfill it and to see the Lord come soon. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father, this morning, this afternoon, we ask that you will condescend to fill each heart, to give us that which is needful for us, that you will heal us from whatever besetting sins we have, to grant us your spirit so that we may be able to grow in Christ. No longer spiritual invalids. No longer struggling simply to get by. But that we may fulfill the purpose. To preach this gospel with power. To every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Some of us have stood here, Lord, because we confess. We have issues. We have weaknesses. We have sins. Heal us, Lord. Grant us the victory over those besetting sins that may paralyze us. And some of us have confessed that we have lived a life less than ideal. We may have done good things for you in your name, but inside, we are still spiritually paralyzed. And I ask, Lord, that you will be with us each one, that you will grant us the healing that we so longingly desire. 
that you may look in our face as you did to those paralytics of old, thy sins be forgiven thee. Rise up, take up thy bed, and walk. And may we walk out of this place today saying we have seen strange things. And may we glorify you in all that we do. Bless us the remainder of this GYC, we pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, we pray. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.